The Full Circle Podcast. Compelling interviews and incredible tales from Colorado's Western Slope, from the mountains to the desert. Christy Reese and her team hear from the movers, shakers, and characters of the Grand Valley and surrounding mountain towns that make the Western Slope the place we all love. You'll learn, you'll laugh, you'll love with the Full Circle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Full Circle Podcast. I'm Christy Reese, and I'm super excited to announce our guest for the day is Garrett Portra with Carlson Vineyards. Welcome, Garrett. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you brought wine. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely. I have a I have a hard time walking anywhere without a wine wine in hand. So well, and uh, I have ulterior motives. Uh, I, not only do I want to hear about your business and everything that you do for wine in Colorado and our valley, but uh, I love your wine and love to try it, and I want to learn more about it. So I'm really excited that you brought yeah. some samples with you today. And um, I wanted to get started with talking about how you came to Grand Junction and how did you come to own Carlson Vineyards? Yeah, so I, I always make the joke with everybody that Kaylin and I, my wife, came uh, to Grand Junction in 2007 on a six-month adventure. Um, my wife had just graduated from occupational therapy school. Um, I was a pipe fitter in St. Louis, and we decided to come out west for her to do her internships. Um, we were, you know, fortunate enough that I had a good job in the oil field, and uh, Kaylin was offered a great job at St. Mary's, and so she, we decided to stay for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I come from a very traditional Midwest farm family. And so I'm kind of the black sheep of the family. Um, everybody else, you know, I, my mom did go away for a while. I was actually born in Montana, uh, but we ended up back in Missouri when I was about 11. Um, and then I say from then on, all I did was hear about people complain about my aunt who lives so far away because she lived in Springfield. <laughs> uh-huh. And a couple hours drive. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think the thought was for Kaylin and I, and then for my entire family always was that we would return to central Missouri, back to our farm back there. Um, and we just kind of fell in love with the location and the place and all the lifestyle that it, mm-hmm. it offered. Um, so yeah, so I went to work for, eventually Kaylin got tired of me traveling. Um, and the goal actually was to go back to Missouri and start a winery. So I actually went to work to learn the commercial side. Um, so you had some farming background, but not necessarily wine background. Yeah. So we had a, a livestock farm, um, and, and still do my uncle, uh, my uncle, and my cousin run it. Um, and so I grew up in agriculture. I'm the oldest of my generation. So I grew up working the farm with my uncle. Um, and then when I met Kaylin, they actually had like a little half acre vineyard in Southeast Missouri. Um, and that's kind of where I started to learn about wine. And I mean, I love agriculture. Mm-hmm. And to me, what I learned was wine is like the best representation of agriculture. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, it takes a lot of beer to make good wine, but if your favorite IPA tastes different, every time you buy it, you get irritated. The difference being on wine, your favorite cab should taste different every time because it reflects the year that it was grown and it reflects, reflects the season. You know, this year we've seen in the news about smoke, which it's knock on wood, um, looking like we're doing, we're doing fine and we're not going to be affected. But those, all those components actually will affect the flavor of this year's wine, which mm-hmm. really drew me in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I went to work for uh, Carlson Vineyards in 2011. Um, and with the hope of learning the, the business more. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, I told, uh, Parker Carlson in my interview that has like, look, I'll, I'll promise to work here five, six years, but you just need to understand I'm, I'm not here to run the business or manage the business. I'm here to move on and start my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was completely cause I mean, we've made home, we had made home wine at scale, you know, a few hundred gallons, which for a home winemaker is a big That's batch. That's a lot. Yeah. 
Um, but you know, working in making a thousand gallon batch at the winery was a very different animal. So I was just there to kind of see the ins and outs and see, you know, learn the, the cash flow. Wine business is extremely capital intensive and can be a big challenge from a, a business perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to have some kind of experience with that before I just jumped off into the, my own production. So, and so how did you end up owning Carlson Vineyards then? <laughs> well, um, you know, I, like I said, I was really honest with Parker. Um, and while I'd been in the oil field, we'd, I'd kind of only been chasing money in order to be able to start a winery. Um, and I think Parker knew once I'd worked for him for a while, he knew I was serious cause we'd had a lot of conversations. He was really, really good to me on, I could call a tank company and say, I'm, you know, Oh, I'm I manage Carlson vineyards. Can I get quotes on these tanks? Cause you know, they didn't really want to talk to you at the time, a 30 year old random guy that's just calling <laughs> for heck of it. But if you can drop a name in there, you, you get a little bit more respect. And he was great about allowing me to call equipment companies and call tank companies and kind of start to learn and sort out the business. And I think in the meantime, he realized how serious I was about what I was doing. Um, and they came back from a uh, trip to Northern Wisconsin um, in 2013, I guess. And basically had us over for dinner and, you know, was that still your plan? Did you know it was coming? Oh, I had no idea. Like they'd had us over before Mm -hmm. Parker and I, according to Mary and my wife, we're almost too much alike. We get along really, really well. And, uh, I tell people I'm the son he never had or wanted. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so it wasn't, it seemed odd timing, but because he had just gotten back, but it wasn't completely a surprise, I guess. And, you know, we had dinner and towards the end of dinner, he basically was, is that, you know, going through my plan? Is that still your plan? And I was like, yeah, that's, you know, at some point we're going back. And, and then he's like, well, would you have any interest in purchasing this place? And I was like, I mean, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. But for anybody that's been to Missouri, Western slopes kind of Western slope of Colorado is hard to beat. So it sure is. So, yeah. So we, uh, kind of started the process and, uh, started working towards, you know, finding the best and, way to make it happen. And what attracted you to Carlson Vineyards in the first place? Because there's a lot of wineries around Grand Junction. What was it about that particular business or those owners or what they produced that what made you want to work there and, and own that business? Yeah, so I think it's the, uh, the Carlsons were a lot like Kaylin and I. Um, and we could see that, and you could see that at the winery. Um, you know, we're, they were always, and we still are all about quality, but we're more about approachability as well. Um, you know, we want to make the best wines possible. Um, but on the same note, you know, we want them to be available to everybody and we're not pretentious. Um, and they just really fit our style. Um, I think, you know, one of my favorite things about the wine business is I tell people all the time that in Napa, the guy in the suit and tie pouring you the wine probably knows half about the wine as the guy in the car hearts in the window in the backyard. And I like that. And, and that was more the approach we wanted to go is that very approachable. Um, you know, I like, you know, we make a wine for everyone. I like, I mean, I make sweet wines and fruit wines and dry reds and yeah. How many wines do you produce right now? Um, currently we're at 19. Wow. Yeah. It's too many. Um, (laughs) my wife and I try to do a, now that the harvest is kind of officially on the downward slide, um, we try to do a weekly meeting and this was our first one back after harvest. And one of the things we said is we got to get, start to focus a little bit more. Yeah. Not, you know, not getting crazy, but, um, but we definitely want to get a little more focused because we just think we can take 
um, you know, continue to take quality to the next level and being able to focus our energies will help with that. I'm trying to figure out a segue to actually tasting the wine that's yeah. in front of me. So I'm like, okay. Um, yeah. sure. <laughs> um, so you've talked a little bit about your approach to winemaking and I love what you said about, you know, that, uh, that it, it comes from the earth and, and it varies every year. Talk a little bit more about your specific approach to winemaking and what you hope to accomplish here. And then we can talk about this wine in front of us. Yeah, that's a perfect segue. Um, yeah. Uh, so I tell people like I'm, you know, I've taken a lot of classes. I went to Washington State. I've taken some courses to UC Davis, but I'm primarily trained on the job. So I don't have a, you know, a professional degree in it. So it's kind of a nonstop learning process. Mm. Um, you know, I, wine is a kind of a walking contradiction, if you would. It's, uh, you know, if you talk to 99 winemakers, you'll probably get 99 answers on the different ways to make it. Um, you know, there's a lot done on, you know you catch us in one conversation and we'll preach science, science, science. Um, and then you'll say, well, why didn't you pick that Merlot? It's the numbers seem right. And you're like, well, they didn't taste right. And you're like, well, we just threw the science out the door. Um, so yeah, my approach is, I think ever evolving. And I think the wine that I brought today, um, is a good example of that. I mean, I think we have core wines that we make that we kind of, you know, make in the same style and we try to make year after year, like our, our Lemberger, our T-Red, um, some of our semi-sweet wines, like our sweet baby reds, our top seller, um, our fruit wines, you know, we, we really try to be focused on how we're making those, but then on some of the other wines, um, and both the wines I brought today are good examples of that. Um, they're, I'm always trying to evolve as a winemaker and become better. Cause I just, it's my belief in business. You're never, you're never sitting still. You're either moving forward or backwards. And if you stop pushing, it means you're going backwards. And so, um, the Gewurz that you have in front, it's a dry Gewurz demeanor. Um, the rest of the world's very, very familiar with that. And the United States has kind of ruined Gewurz demeanor and Riesling. So everybody thinks it's always sweet. Right. Um, but this one is a, is a bone dry, um, Gewurz. Um, the one in our glass is the one that is currently for sale, made in a real traditional, modern way. I mean, uh, harvested um, straight to the, our destemmer. We go through a sorting process. We destem them straight to our press um, and then press them off the skins immediately um, to to just get them off the skin so you're not picking up that tannin and things like that. Um, and then I also brought a, a tank sample of the Gewürztraminer that we made um, this year. Um, so these grapes have only been in the tank for, uh, just right at around a month or so. Uh Um, but the big difference here is we distem them, um, to separate containers, um, and then let them sit with the skins for like 45 hours. Um, and in that you'll, to me, at least it picked up a lot of tropical notes. Um, it actually has a little bit more body, a little more viscosity. It's heavier in the mouth. Um, and it's something that, you know, I think more traditional places you would, you would find, um, it's not all the way to a, a craze right now as an orange wine and it's not completely there cause we didn't ferment it on the skins, but we did do what's called a cold soak, um, and let it sit on the skin. So, so yeah, I think my winemaking style is hard to put in a box cause I feel like I'm ever, I'm, I'm so, I'm learning all, so much. It, yeah. That's awesome though. I love it. So it feels very local. Yeah. So, and you have a new tasting room downtown. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but, yeah. um, Tell us the proper way to really enjoy this wine. Should I? So, yeah, I mean. Smell, swish, swirl, any of that? Yeah, I think it depends on who you talk to. I mean, one of my pet peeves you'll find from people is that, like, to me, there's no proper way. Um, I think you should drink it exactly how you like. But, I mean, a good, you know, typically when you're tasting, you're going to look at the appearance and see how the wine looks. Um, I typically like to, to 
smell it before I swirl it around because sometimes there are some aromas that are sitting in the top of the glass from the pour that as we start to swirl it, we're going to like volatize more and it's going to push mm-hmm. them out. So then you can pour and it'll, it typically it's going to bring more of those out. It's actually what you're doing is you're adding a lot of oxygen to the wine, which is helping the wine breathe. Um, and is that as important for a white as it is for a red? It really, you know, I would say to me, it's more important on the styles of wine. So our wines aren't going to need to be, um, you know, decanted or aerated as much as some other wines that were made to age. Our wines are made more for what I consider immediate consumption. Mm -hmm. Um, When I go to market with the wine, um, I expect people, because 90% of them are, I mean, the statistics show us that, that when people go home from the liquor store, they're not going home from the liquor store to hold on to it for three or four years. They're going home to drink it. And so that's how the majority of wines are made. Whereas the, the aeration, um, while it can help, it's not as maybe as important as if you have a wine that you'll hear people talk about a wine that say is tight or closed up. And a lot of what that is, is that the winemaker has made that wine, um, with the idea that it's going to age for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so if you open it a little early, you kind of need to get that oxygen there, help some of that stuff come out. But yeah. Will you hold that bottle up too? So our, um, the people that are viewing the podcast on video will be able to see the label dry Gewurz trimming. Yeah. Dry Gewurz. It is absolutely delicious. It's kind of and you're fun. right. It's not sweet. No, not at all. And that's what, um, yeah, that's, we do three Gewurz trimmers. We do a semi-sweet and we also do a dessert style sweet as well. But, um, mm. this is, uh, a dry version that we, we absolutely love to make. So, so I don't know how many acres you have, um, in your vineyard, but you don't grow all the grapes for the wine that you produce. Is that correct? That's correct. No, we, we only have a couple acres, um, that we grow ourselves. We grow Lemberger and Petit Syrah. Um, and then we buy from two, well, now it's like four different growers, but the two biggest are peach fork orchards and vineyards and then, uh, Talbot farms. Mm -hmm. And then we also buy from, I don't know if you're familiar with Eureka science center, um, yes. Jen Moore and Jesse Zacker have Willow Wind Farms, and we've just started. We I've been buying. Jen usually hits me up right in the middle of the season, and says, "Hey, I need it," and I'm a sucker, so I'm like, "Yeah." But so then this year we talked beforehand, and I bought almost all their grapes this year. So, awesome. yeah, so I love working with them as well. But, and have you seen? Oh, there's a lot of different crops that grow in our valley, um, but but in Palisade, a lot of grapes. Are any other regions in the in the Grand Valley that are particularly good for grape growing? Uh, as far in the Grand Valley, I mean, you know, you have the two AVAs in Colorado. You have the West Elks. It's down by Paonia and Hotchkiss. And then you have the um, Grand Valley AVA, which is uh, here in Western Slope, Grand mm-hmm. Valley. Um, and I, you know, I typically tell people that um, I don't like to get, I tend to like to stay from about 35 road and east. I like mm-hmm. to be in the mouth of that canyon because mm-hmm. um, the, the winds that come out of the canyon really help keep everything from freezing or keep you know cold temperatures stirred up, and you tend to have a better crop. I mean, I think we saw that this year with the unfortunate freeze we had with peaches. Yeah. Down in the Vinelands, right in the mouth of the canyon, there were still a lot of um, orchards there that still had a pretty good crop. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the farther you get away, it just gets cooler and you get less um, airflow, and that can be a real issue with for us. Um, so yeah, the introduction of um, some hybrids, which this is kind of a fun uh, wine because it is a vinifera, um, and then we have these cold hardy cultivators, they're French American hybrid grapes. That um, so this one has Chamberson in it, the red. Um, that they have more cold hardiness, and so that has probably expanded some vineyard potential in the valley um, to a little bit cool 
cooler areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I like to stay right in the mouth of that canyon, as far in the mouth of the canyon as I can. Have you seen more people converting to grapes or converting away from grapes? What's the general atmosphere for growing in Palisade right now? Because there are a lot of different crops. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think peach is still king mm-hmm. um, for sure. I think, um, you know, every year we see certain varietals. There's excess grapes in the valley when we have good years. Um, and then we have certain varietals that are, um, um, you know, on a shortage. And I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, people need to keep in mind we're a super young uh, pioneering industry still. Mm-hmm. We're just like, I'm one of the first second generation owners of a winery. So oh. um, I think that's what we're, we're starting to see more as people are replanting or doing that. I think you're starting to see more people taking uh, the information that we've got from previous years, you know, pioneer pioneering regions. Usually what they do is they plant whatever the owner likes. Like I like cab. I'm going to plant cab. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after you have, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years of experience, you can take that knowledge and say, okay, actually that vineyard site was horrible for cab, but it might be great for Riesling or another variety. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think that's, I think we're not seeing a whole lot of positive or minus, um, fluctuation in acreage maybe, but more, um, replanting with varietals that do better here in our Valley and do better in those locations. What do you think are the varietals that do the best here? Uh, I think Riesling and Cab Franc to give a white and a red. I think both of those are really, really great. Um, we've, we're doing a Malbec um, that seems to – I really like it, and I like some of the other Malbecs I've had in the Valley. So I think that's another variety that is uh, coming along fine. And then there's some, some newer uh, varieties that are being tried every day as well, which is kind of exciting. But yeah, You like to experiment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've been a huge advocate for – not only Western Slope wines, but Colorado wines. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we have like Storm Cellars. We have a Blackbridge Winery in Paonia in the Hotchkiss area. Um, Buckle Family Wines. I just had one of his at uh, uh, Palisade Cafe the other day. It was and that's awesome. out of Gunnison, right? Yeah, exactly. But their grapes don't come from Gunnison, no, do they? Mo- no, most of those, like, so Buckle Family, I think most of his grapes actually come from here in the Western Slope in mm-hmm. the Grand Valley. Um, a lot of, like, Storm Cellars, is they're not 100% estate, but they grow a lot of their own fruit. And they also buy some grapes from here uh, on the Western Slope. And then I think Lee, I haven't been down to see Lee in a long time, but they're at Blackbridge. I kind of call him the Pinot King. I think he's uh, of Colorado Pinot Noir. I think he's um, the man that knows what's going on. Yeah. And uh, he he grows most of his own fruit. I'm just not sure if he's 100% estate or not. But, yeah. But So how do you advocate advocate for... West Slope's wine and West Slope wines, and how do we compete in the international wine wine market? Yeah, I mean it's a great question because I mean it's something that we um, are continually trying to do and trying to push forward. You know, we have the Colorado Wine Board. Um, Cave does a great job of kind of advocating for us. Um, I'm the Rocky Mountain uh, delegate for Wine America, which is a our national lobbying organization for the wine industry, um, and a big part of the reason that I, I mean, Naomi from Grand River. Uh, was for a long time and then as she retired um they had an open seat um and so i thought it was important to keep a colorado winery as the representation for that region um so i think we're you know slowly um it's hard to say but i think we're slowly starting to push into the mindsets of other people i think it's always hard because you know you have the gorilla in the room california sitting over there yeah um and so it's always hard to push and you know i think we're finally getting to a spot where there's a lot of great winemakers making colorado wines versus trying to make california style wines in colorado Mm -hmm. and i think we're just going to see over the next 
five, 10, 15 years that we're going to start having a leg to stand on as saying, no, 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 this is a, you know, a Colorado cab franc, Mm -hmm. not a cab franc from Napa or that. Well, and obviously they produce amazing wines in California and it's a beautiful place and it's heartbreaking to see the fires raging through that area and some of the resorts, lodges and vineyards that have been destroyed. I mean, it just makes me cry. Um, But even though you can buy some of those wines, it's still hard to go out there and get that wine experience whenever you want it. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about our areas. Wow, how many vineyards do we have here now that you can go do a wine tour? And what a great experience that is. Yeah, I mean, you. you uh, I tell people at this point, I, I've lost track, but I know there's over 20. I'm basically, I always just tell people when they ask, I'm like, well, if you hit them all in a weekend, you're not going to be a very happy camper on Monday. I'll say that. Um, but yeah, there's there's so many uh, you know new places popping up. Uh, Colorado Vintners Collective just popped up over um, in Palisade, which is a, a fun new place. I honestly haven't even been there, but I've just been following them on social. And I mean, everything they, they're doing looks really incredible and like a great addition. Um, Savage Spectrum is doing some sparkling wines now. So yeah, I think it's, uh, we have an incredible, I mean, and it's, you know, we just moved to the Palisade area from, um, from Fruitvale. And I told my wife, Caleb, and it's like, when we stand outside and just do a 360, the views that we have in the Western Slope are yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I think it's easy to, you know, when we all live here, like it's pretty easy just to take it for granted and not realize it. But there's not a lot of places in the world that you can sit and have a glass of wine in a vineyard with these kind of views. So it's a pretty incredible spot for sure. Very true. So where do you sell most of your wine? Do you sell it online? Do you sell it from people stopping in? Do you ship around the world? We we ship to certain states. So shipping wine and alcohol is a nightmare. Mm. Um, every state controls the importation of alcohol separately. Mm. So you can either go through a third-party vendor, which we've chosen not to do because they obviously take a take portion. A big chunk. Um, or you can, you know, gather licenses yourself. And so some of it then it just becomes, um, you know, it just, it really depends on, it's a business decision. You look at, you know, for instance, um, Missouri, where I'm from one, I have so many contacts there that if I didn't ship to Missouri, I'd be in a lot of trouble. But the, (laughs) but the other thing is it's like 50 bucks for two years for a license. Um, and then we report tax to them and we pay them excise tax. Um, now Missouri's next door neighbor, Illinois, it used to be like 500 to a thousand dollars a year to ship there. I'm not going to ship enough wine to Illinois in a year to probably even break even on that license, let alone make money. And so, you know, we just um, have chosen, we just pick and choose what states we're going to ship to. And typically we have a database at the winery that we keep track of when people request wine to be shipped. And if we see a certain state start popping up over and over and over again, we typically have uh, their contact info as well. So then we might give it a few years and we'll go ahead and buy the license. We send those emails out saying, Hey, we now ship here and we see, then we can look over a course of a couple of years if it's uh, beneficial to do or not. Mm-hmm. But we've, you know, honestly, like one of the goals for us when we bought Carlson Vineyards was to become a winery of the Valley. Like we wanted, that's was one of the reasons we opened up downtown was that um, we really wanted to, um, you know, there's so many, there's such a large population here that don't even know that we have wine in the Valley, which is amazing. And so our big thing was really, to, you know, we wanted to be a local winery mm-hmm. as first, and then we've kind of started to branch out. We do distribute throughout Colorado and we sell, you know, um, our distribution company does a great job for us. Um, and then we have a wine club that we've put in place three or four years ago and has been great for us as well. It's been growing. 
Well, you ha- must have a lot of just stop-in people out at the vineyard that are doing a wine tour, driving around, or taking a, a guided tour. Yeah, absolutely. The tourism in the valleys, um, yeah, great. We, you know, that was one of the things that did make it difficult this year was obviously with the lack of tourism. Yeah. Um, but luckily, we, you know, changed our business model enough to where we came out of it as good as we could have hoped. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we get a lot of tourism. We start to really slow down. Um, right about now is when we start to see that start to slow down into the winter. Um, but yeah, the, the summer for us, for sure, summer through about through middle of October is really busy. Well, let's boost your, uh, winter sales. What kind of wines do you suggest for the holiday season? You know, well, one of the, the, you know, the number, one of the number one wine pairings you're going to find for Thanksgiving is going to be Gewürztraminer. Um, and it's not so much because you're pairing it with Turkey. It's more that you're pairing it with the stuffing. You, you know, you're always pairing your food. Ooh, yeah. I'm the, just imagining stuffing with this. That would be fantastic. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you always, when you're, anytime you pair with food, you always want to look at your dominant flavor. Um, and then I also tell people um, ham and Riesling go well together, and there's a lot of good dry Rieslings. I do one in conjunction with Bin 707, Josh over there. We do one called White Light that's a dry Riesling. And he serves that in his restaurant, and you sell it also. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, the only places you can currently get it are in our tasting rooms or um, Taco Party Bin Burger or Bin mm-hmm. 707. So. Yeah, that, which has been a really, really fun, um, fun. Yeah, because Josh also is really into uh, where the food comes from and Absolutely. fermentation and all that. It's really fascinating. Yeah, that's what. So it's I a mean, great partnership. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, a quick story about why we went to the cold soak on the Dragoverts is in 2017 we did it as well, and Josh had come over to taste some wines, and he came in, and I had this bins of grapes that were just sitting on skins and covered he's like what's this i'm like oh i'm cold soaking our gewürztraminer he goes oh do you always do that i'm like well every time my chiller goes down when i receive grapes i gotta figure out something to do and it kind of came serendipitous but then we really liked what it did Uh yeah interesting so how many kinds of special wine do you do then special label or yeah so i mean right now you know we do a few um, we do, you know, the wines with Bin 77. We do this, the wine that I brought, um, Terra, we do that in conjunction with Colorado Canyon Association. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we Which have, is a fundraiser yeah. for them. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, we just wrote them a check for a little over, I think, $5,000 from the last one. And then we just literally released this last night. And a beautiful label, too. Yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. Um, Jeff Chrysler uh, is the photographer. Um I met him at Kiln. Actually, we were standing in line getting coffee, and David in at Kiln said, "Do you know Jeff? You should." And struck up a conversation. And next thing love you know, it. I love it. Yeah, next thing you know, he's doing the photography for the tear. It turned out great. Um, yeah, so we do, and then we also do. I have a couple labels I do with Forever Our Rivers, um, which is another nonprofit that we do mm-hmm. for river health. Um, you know, water is pretty important when it comes to winemaking. So. When you live at the, when you live in an area that's known for the junction of rivers, you got to take care of what, what brought you here. Right, so. uh, that's a great subject. I think. What do you have to do to the water that comes out of the river, the irrigation water, in order to use it for your grapes? Uh, you- not. We don't typically have to do much. I mean, we do obviously have to filter out sediments and that. Mm-hmm. Um, we use on our grapes. We use a micro sprinkler system, so it comes through, goes through our pump. Um, to be completely honest i contract most of it out to talbot farms and so um as long as the sprinklers are coming on when they're supposed to i'm usually pretty happy (laughs) okay um let's talk about your tasting room downtown because i think that's a great addition to main street and grand junction so if you want to not only buy carlson uh wines but taste them you can go right down here and 
not that it's a far drive to Palisade and we love going out there, but it's very convenient. So tell us a little bit about the impetus for that and how it's going for you. Um, yeah, so we, I looked at spaces, I think, in 2014, maybe. Right when we agreed to purchase the winery, I thought it would be a great idea to move, have a downtown tasting room. Um, and we looked, and I did a lot of research on it and reached out to some folks. And just after, like, doing looking at our business and looking at, you know, being new business owners, I decided the risk wasn't worth it. And we had other places we should probably put our money. Um, and then in 2000, I guess just, it's just over a year ago. We were actually, it was a bummer. We were closed for our one year anniversary because of COVID. Oh, <laughs> dang it. Um, but it just, it was kind of, uh, it just worked out well. Actually, um, Dustin, the owner of that building is, um, Colorado Canyon association. This is our fourth wine we've done with them and their offices are upstairs. And at the time, uh, Joe, the executive director said, Hey, that space below us is going to be open. If you're still, cause I talked to him before about maybe doing it. And, uh, yeah, I talked to Dustin and honestly, he was great to work with and, you know, was willing to do, um, some short term lease agreements so I could get a feel for if it was going to be a good fit. And so far we're really, really excited about it. We, mm -hmm. we've, it's been, uh, there's been challenges. I mean, yeah, obviously COVID was not great um yeah because a wine tasting room is not great if you can't taste <laughs> um but but um yeah no we're we're looking to make it you know a long-term addition so mm -hmm. so tell for the people that haven't been there mm -hmm. tell us about um what the procedure is and do you provide food as well i mean can someone come in there and spend all afternoon do you have outdoor space yeah. Tell us about the wine tasting experience and what you want to provide to people there. So at, there at the downtown uh, location, we don't have um, outdoor. We don't have any outdoor space, but uh, supposedly it was a. It's proved in the plan for that building to have some, and we just wanted to make sure it was going to be a long term mm -hmm. area for us. Um, but yeah, so we you know we have changed things. We do wine flights now. Um, so great with COVID and everything else. You know you. Ideally, you weren't supposed to use a common container to pour from. Um, so by doing the flights, it allowed us to use the common container into five separate, you know, clean containers and then let people um, kind of do their own thing. So, but yeah, it's, you can do a flight, you can do, you know, a bottle of wine, glass of wine. Um, we are just meeting today about one of the things we're going to be going over tomorrow is we're looking to add some like happy hour times for after work to where mm -hmm. um, like half price bottle every week or that kind of thing. So, and then we don't currently, we were doing cafe soul platters mm -hmm. um, again with the whole COVID and figuring yeah. it all out. Um, we don't currently offer any food, but we do encourage people to bring their food and they're welcome to bring their food and have a glass of wine. So um, it's been nice, I think, cause like, you know, with Suhiro's, they have limited seating. Well, somebody can put in a to-go order and grab their Suhiro's and come sit down at the table. Great idea. Yeah, so it works great. Um, yeah, so we have a lot of folks that bring their own food. Um, and it's kind of the same the, the the winery. We have a great outdoor backyard space. And um, so we have a lot. We encourage people to bring picnics or that. Because, um, I mean, the challenge out at the winery is there is nowhere to pick up food. And so yeah. we, we used to, again, have Cafe Soul Platters. Um, and we hope to bring those back again. Um, it's just the chain of custody of package and or something i don't know um that it just didn't work well with the covid plan um but but yeah we still encourage people to bring their own food and hang out as long as they'd like so obviously covid had an effect on tourism here in the valley and and people stopping by the vineyard and and the tasting room how else has covid affected it you know we talk a lot about in the real estate business 
what efficiencies did we learn through this process that we will continue with? And is there, there anything that's happened in the last year or last, it's just been six months really um, that you think has affected your business in a positive way or that you've, you've learned that you'll carry forward? Yeah, no, I think we've learned a lot actually. We, um, you know, one of the things we used to put um, a foil on ours, um, we started going without a foil um, as you can see, this one doesn't have one. And what's nice is we have custom corks. And so you can actually read the cork and you can see our logo on top and you can read it. And the main reason that we got rid of that was that when we were bringing, we didn't lay anybody off for, um, when we got shut down, um, we sent everybody home for a couple months. We paid everybody. Um, and then when we brought them back, we still weren't supposed to have our tasting rooms open. And so in order to, you know, keep everybody going, we brought everybody back and I, I told people the tasting room got new perspective on how the wine gets in the bottle um but one of the things we did is by eliminating the area that we put the foils on it actually allowed us to keep spacing well with everybody and so it was kind of one of those i actually have if anybody needs them i have like 150,000 foils that we didn't use this year um but it was great because we didn't have to figure out how to like crowd everybody in together and it allowed us to do a little better job spacing um and it also i mean a lot of people really liked it because it you know it helps with the branding because it gets our name out there one more time um, and then I would say, you know, the flights, everybody's really been a really big fan of the flights because, mm-hmm. um, it kind of allows people to taste at their own pace. You know, if they, if they're in a hurry to go, they're not waiting on somebody to get to them, but on the same note, if they want to take their time and go nice and slow, they're welcome to. So I think that's going to, um, continue on. And then I would also say that in our annual wrap up meeting or looking forward meeting last year. Um, the biggest area of improvement I saw for us was online sales and boy, have we improved that. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, the goal is, you know, I've been, uh, keep that where it is or improve it and bring the, and bring the rest back. In-person tourism back. Mm -hmm. So it's been, um, yeah, it gave us kind of a chance to, you know, you know, some of our tasting room folks got a chance to actually focus on how, you know, different optimization and social ideas and figure out how to push online sales. And it was kind of great because it really allowed a lot of people to cross train. So I think we're really going to come out of it as a, a stronger, better business. So you just had your harvest. Yeah. And is there a long harvest period for the different kinds of grapes? I mean, is it all throughout the season or does it all come at once? Um, again, and again, this is what I love about the wine business is agriculture. So mm-hmm. there is no like rule, uh-huh. um, you know, typically like obviously there's no wine fest um this year but yeah bummer you know but um wine fest weekend you know i was telling people that i was like there's been years during wine fest weekend where we might only have two or three tons of grapes in our cellar at the time i think this year we had around 80 um wow yeah we were crushing grapes in august which was eye-opening and um as of wednesday i've brought my last fruit in from the field so and i've just in the time that i've worked in the industry i've I've pressed Riesling in November. So it tells you how early we are um, to have all of our fruit in-house already. Um, and why is that this year? It just it got hot and stayed hot. And uh-huh. were, you know, normally, I, I kind of feel like there's two weeks in the Grand Valley that, um, you know, it's like there for a while I would always say, man, I don't remember it getting this hot last year. And I like those first couple of weeks of July to me are always, they're in the hundreds. They're always super hot and they don't ever, and then they seem to kind of, taper off and go back well this year the hundreds just kept coming mm-hmm. and uh the ripening of the fruit kept coming and so everything kind of came together pretty early and kind of came all at once and so that's why i've been joking that this was the fast and furious harvest for us because it was just like i was go look- go get it now <laughs> yeah i just yeah i i'd tell all my my seller team if we had a time they could go home early or get i'm like you better get it now because i can't tell you when the next one's gonna be yeah 
Um, but yeah, so it's been a, a, an interesting year. The nice thing is so far we haven't seen any, um, negative effects of the smoke, which we were worried about. Um, mm-hmm. and, but thus far, California has got to have some horrible effects, right? I yeah, mean, I would assume I don't, I mean, give you an idea. Um, I had to call a lab cause I send my grapes off to a lab in, uh, California to get analysis and testing and that and i was calling one of them and was talking to him about they call it smoke taint um and there is a uh, chemical markers that you can test for to see if it's there or not and right now i mean they're so overwhelmed that they're telling people one to two months before you'll have results and they're telling people that aren't already set up as customers they're listing their competitors as like you should check with them because we just don't have room for you right now wow. so i mean they're yeah they, they have a long long road ahead of them i think mm-hmm and do you think that a lot of those California uh, vineyards will have to dump grapes? I mean, what do you do with the tainted? Yeah, it's, um, you know, this happened a few years ago for them as well. And it was actually a big deal in the wine industry because there's a lot of fights between growers and wineries and who was paying for what and if the insurance companies would cover it. And so I'm ho- I mean, the hope would be that in that they learned a lot and so you know if a, if a grape is considered unusable and now with a lot better analysis they can actually have chemical analysis to show that those grapes are not quote-unquote usable um so hopefully that'll i mean for the growers hopefully there'll be some insurance there that can help them um for the wineries it's just it's kind of a tough deal because if you don't have grapes you, you know, you're suddenly out of a product. And the problem is, is that you're not out of a product immediately. You have to plan for being out of a product in two years, um, which is a, a right. tough business planning model. Yeah, but, no kidding. Yeah. Well, we certainly wish the all the folks in California well, especially the wineries, and hope they get back on their feet soon. But it's a great opportunity for the people in Colorado or even all across the country to try some Colorado wines. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... um. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time, if, if you come into it with an open mind as a wine drinker, it's not – Colorado wines should be Colorado. They shouldn't taste like a California – I mean, it's back to what I love about it. It reflects where it's grown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I think that – and I think we're starting to see that. I know um, Mesa Parks just got a 90-point a um, score on his uh, cab, I believe. So Brandon and Laura are doing great over there. Um, we've had multiple 90 points, I think uh, – Corey from Evolve Wines got a 90 as well. So we're starting to get more and more of those scores um, that reflect and show that as an industry, we're like moving forward and becoming an actual player. We'll never be California. We'll never be that size. We don't have the ground to do it. Mm -hmm. But I think we are starting to see a a push for, you know, I think that's the way it works. It's kind of a push for quality. You know, in the beginning, pioneering, it's all about survival. You're just trying to stay afloat. Yeah. Um, and I think we're starting to see as these, the next generation of wineries, like now we get to stand on the shoulders of the pioneers that created a Colorado industry and then start trying to push it to the next level. And you just hope that each generation gets better and better and better. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, I think it's a uh, future's bright for Colorado wine. Yeah. I love it. Um, what do you think are some of the specific attributes of the soil or the conditions here that give Colorado wines, uh, uniqueness? You know, it's hard to say. Um, I mean, I think obviously all the different deposits we have, what, what's been really neat for me at least, and I needed to find more time to research it, but all the deposits, because it's all based off the rivers and how they've flown over the years, mm-hmm. or is that 
we have a lot of different little microclimates and different like so you can get i mean even grapes from just the bottom of the valley up versus up on top of east orchard mesa where i'm at you can have the same variety they can be completely different um and i think that uh that alone really lends to a lot of um oh there's just a lot of differences in all of our wines which i think is pretty unique um i think it can add to some really complex different reds because you can do some blending and then i think also just you know like we've, we've been beat over the head with on peaches our you know warm days cool nights it, it works it works in all fruit the reason our peaches are so good is we have those warm days cool nights so on and so forth yeah. it does it has the same effect on all fruit and so it has you're gonna have you know great grapes produced as well awesome well, uh, as we wrap up, what uh, let's let's well, yeah, move try. on to our next uh, tasting here. So, so this is the dry Gewurztraminer that's just been harvested. Yeah, so and you can see it's still cloudy. Uh-huh. It's not. It uh, it hasn't. Uh, there we do that. Um, yeah, so it hasn't even settled out yet. I mean, it's just, but it's just. The nose on it's really tropical. I mean, it's very tropical. It's totally different than the bottle. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of. I mean, if you smell, I I would automatically almost assume it's going to be sweet, but it's the Ah, same way. It's bone dry. That's amazing. The smell is the aroma is so different than the taste. And there's, I mean, you can get that at the end. You get a little bitterness, Um, and then what that is is that some of those tannins coming from it. Um, Over time, hopefully, those are going to soften a little bit. But but yeah, I mean, it's. um, completely wow. different wine but it's just a good example of like i said what i love it reflects the year it was grown it reflects the the temperatures we've had and yeah mm-hmm. that's delicious interesting garrett what else would you like to share with us today uh and our listeners man i don't know um i mean i'm just thankful to be here i mean it's kind of a uh really neat uh uh idea you guys have going on with the podcast i love seeing um you know, I was excited to bring, you know, some of the stuff, the CCA wine, some of the other things, because I know you guys do so much of the community outreach as well, which is, is really important to us. We've always believed in a, uh, you know, a successful business relies on a successful community, and you're very seldom going to have one without the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like, uh, yeah, I mean, that's one, one of the things that I thought there was like a little bit of similarities between us is I feel like obviously just from the outsider looking in looking at your all's business that you guys kind of have a lot of the same core values that we do at Carlson Vineyards is that, you know, if our community is super successful and moves in a positive direction, um, it's just going to do nothing but help our business. So, so yeah, I think it was a uh, fun. I was super excited to get the invite. Absolutely. Wine Fest next year. I imagine everybody is just keeping fingers crossed. It's far enough away that we hope COVID will be done and we can have events again. But wow, I think everybody will just be so excited. It'll be a bash, right? In the best way. I hate to say the new normal, but I'd just like any kind of scope of normal back. Right. right. We will look forward to it so much. Um, well, it's been a pleasure having you here today and enjoying your wines. I think we're going to have a little bit of that. What's in the... Oh, the Colorado can the, the CC, yeah, the CCA wine. It's one of the biggest wines I think I've ever made from a red perspective. Um, it's uh, Cab Franc and Chamberson. Uh, it started out back to where you're always pushing forward. I did a quick, um, I did a uh, a wine with my cellar crew called Swag. I always wanted to name a wine Swag. <laughs> um, it dates back to my favorite biology teacher in college. He used to say that a hypothesis was just a stuck up way of saying a scientific wild ass guess. <laughs> 
and that's essentially what that wine is supposed to be. And we like the blend so much that we decided we'd use it as a, a stand as a mainstay for us. So, so it became the new Terra, but yeah, I've, I, I've wanted to call a wine swag since I, I thought about having a winery. Are you going to put that, uh, the acronym, uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, the acronym explanation somewhere in the bottle or? We did on the last one. Yeah, so you? on the, the wine that has a swag and we're going to continue to do swag. I tell mm-hmm. people swag is winemakers making wine for winemakers. It's doing off the wall weird stuff. And we're trying, we're trying to become better winemakers and not all of them will be successful. We were lucky and this one was, but we're going to do some that we're just like, eh, it didn't work. But the idea is that we get to keep pushing to find out and learn new things. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure and love your wine and love promoting uh, not only your company, but the wine industry in Western Colorado. I think it's one of the great things about living here. It makes us so unique. The towns up in the mountains are so beautiful and I love them, but I think we just have such a unique combination of so many great things here in town. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's hard to beat this place. I wanted to let you and the rest of our listeners know that uh, next month we're going to be interviewing Scott Winans uh, from Cop Moba and talking about the plunge because the plunge is a, another amazing part of Palisade that's going to bring some more tourists to that area and hopefully they'll ride down that crazy trail and then drink some wine. There you go. So, Sounds good. Thank you, Garrett. Absolutely. Cheers. Thanks to everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Full Circle Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for listening. This is Christy Reese signing out from the Full Circle Podcast.